Hey there, and thanks for listening to our podcast. Our mission at Hope is to invite everyone to find Jesus and help them move toward the center of God's purpose for their life. Here's this weekend's message. Well, good morning, all of our campuses, all of you watching online, all of us here at Frisco East. How many feeling good today? Man, excited about today. Starting a brand new series called Yearbook. How many have your yearbooks? You still have your high school yearbooks? I've got all four of mine. Uh, actually, ninth grade was considered middle school where I come from, but 10th through 12th. I've got all of them. El Arroyo. I'm from the Rio Grande Valley. Graduated from Harlingen High School uh, 37 plus years ago. Man, I'm old. Um, yearbooks, when you got them, you remember that when they passed them out in whatever class that was, or you picked them up from somewhere, first thing you do is you go to the end to see where you are, right? They have little pages listed, where the, the pages you are, and how many went to go see your pages, right? You, you know, nobody's raising their hand because, uh, yeah, I did, but I'm not raising my hand, because I know you did. You wanted to go see, make sure nothing embarrassing, make sure the picture was good, you know, all that. Then you, you look for your boyfriend or your girlfriend, you look for your friends, and you look for the superlatives, who got what, and all those things. And then you had people sign your yearbook, right? So in all of my yearbooks, I went through them, uh, I hadn't looked through them in years, and, and so I got them in the attic, and, and I w- looked through them. This is my ninth grade yearbook, and my friend Tommy Funk, he was uh, my tennis partner. We played doubles together, and he said, John, half good tennis player, ha ha. Hey, stay clean. Don't get busted. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, what? I have no idea what that was about. I, I mean, I didn't do anything, I promise. But you, you read some of the things that, that people wrote in the yearbooks. It was so crazy, so funny. Um, but a yearbook, you know, part of the, part of the joy of it is, is you go back and you look at the past. You look at your friends. You look at you. You look at your teachers and, and the sports or the academics or the uh, art stuff that you were involved in. And, and it's just fun to look back. Well, in this series, that's what we're going to do. We're going to take a, a look back on the yearbook or in the yearbook of the Exodus, in the book of Exodus. This is the time in which Moses takes the people out of Egypt, the, the children of God out of Egypt and into uh, the edge of the promised land. Then we're going to look at some of the characters and some of the events that shaped their story and how it might shape ours. Here's where we're going over the next four weeks. Today, I'm going to talk about least likely to succeed. Next week, we're going to talk about field trip gone bad. Week three, we're going to talk about making the cut. And then last week, we're going to talk about class reunion. I want to encourage you to read the book of Exodus with me for the month of September. You can just start. I'm I'm not going to be in every chapter. I'm not going to talk about every story, obviously. But if you want to read along with me, just in the book of Exodus, just read one or two, three chapters a week, and and get caught up on that story. It's an incredible story. Today, I'm going to do a little twist on superlatives. You, you remember, if you look back on or in your annual, you'll find most popular, or most beautiful, or most handsome, or most athletic, or most spirited, uh, whatever, right? Today, we're going to Little, put a little twist to that, and we're going to look at the least likely to succeed in the Exodus yearbook, and that would be Moses. Here's the picture 
of Moses. How many remember this? How many remember this? Okay, you graduated 37 years ago or more, right? This is Charlton Heston uh, in the movie, you know, Pardon the Red Sea. Moses, on his own admission, mind you, would consider himself the least likely to be the leader of the children of Israel. Uh, Bill background, Moses was born in the time in which Egypt, Pharaoh, had demanded that the firstborn males of all the Hebrews would be killed as soon as they were born. The reason was they were overpopulating and they were growing at a faster rate than the Egyptians. And he was afraid that they would soon overtake the country just by sheer number. And so he had every male child that was born to be killed. And when Moses was born, his mom was trusting the Lord and put him in a little basket. I mean, moms, I don't know if you can, you know, just fathom this. Obviously, it's such a hard thing to, to, to even think about that your son or daughter would be killed, but she put him in a basket and put him in the Nile River and just watched him float away, hoping and praying that God would do something. Well, downstream, Pharaoh's daughter was at the river at that time with some servants, and they see this basket. They, they go to and get the basket and see what's inside. It's a little baby, and she said, oh, it must, be, it must be one of the Hebrew babies. And instead of killing it, she adopted him. So Moses would be raised in the house of Pharaoh, in the palace of royalty, but yet when she needed someone to nurse and someone to help her with raising Moses, sovereignty of God would have it that his own mother who gave him birth would be his nurse, would be his mother who really raised him. So Moses is in a dual citizenship. He's adopted by the palace, but yet he is raised and born a Hebrew. He had the privileges of the palace, and he had the tradition and the faith of the Hebrew nation. Well, as Moses grew up, about 40 years of age, he walked out into the workplace of the Hebrews who were enslaved by the Egyptians, and he saw an Egyptian beating another Hebrew, and anger rose up within him. And I don't know if it was by accident, I don't know if it was just sheer rage, but Moses killed the Egyptian who was beating the Hebrew, and then he hid his body in the sand, thinking and hoping that nobody would see him. The next day he comes out and he's talking with some people, and one of them says, hey, you're going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian yesterday? And knowing that Moses was caught And the penalty of what would happen to him, he ran. And he fled into the desert where he would spend the next 40 years of his life. Now, this Exodus yearbook story that we're going to visit, I I really truly believe Moses would say this himself that he would be the least likely to succeed. He has a past. He ran, and he now is going to spend years and years and years on all he would do is tend 
his father-in-law's cattle, sheep, goats, whatever. So Moses' perspective of life is now limited to the desert. This is all he deserved. This is all he would ever know. But God. Exodus 3, 1. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness, the desert, and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of the bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here am I, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I've seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. So up until this point, I'm sure if you're thinking like Moses, Moses is like, yes, awesome, I love it. His anger uh, for his own people, his passion for justice, right there, right? I mean, Moses is like, with God, yes, yes. And I think most of us would be there. Oh, thank you, Lord. I'm glad you're going to rescue them. Now he says this in verse 10, now go, you Moses, for I'm sending you to Pharaoh. How many would be, if you were Moses, like, uh, wait a minute. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt, but Moses protested to God. I think all of us Isn't it easy to look back on Old Testament characters or even New Testament characters and go, man, they were so dumb. You ever realize that? You just look back and you go, man, why were they they so stubborn? Why were they so rebellious? Why were they, oh, look in the mirror. We're Moses. How many would see yourself having the same conversation? But Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? Remember his past? Remember what he's done? He's been gone for 40 years. His mom and dad are probably dead. He's probably got cousins, but nobody would really know him, either in the palace or in his own Hebrew family. He's thinking, who am I? So they would go in this dialogue. I'm going to give you only Moses' side of the conversation. God is speaking to to Moses. Every time Moses says, but Lord, God says something in, in trying to persuade him. Verse 13, here's again what Moses would say. But Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then, then what should I tell them? 
And then the Lord says, I am that I am. Tell them that I said, I mean, you know, he goes into this whole thing and then Moses comes back to him and says this, chapter four, verse one, but, but Moses protested again. What, what if they don't believe me or listen to me? How many would be with Moses? I mean, he hasn't talked to these people in 40 years. They've been in, in, in slavery for 400 years. Where's God been? You ever felt like that? Moses says to the Lord, well, I mean, they're not going to believe me. What, what if they say the Lord never appeared to you? The Lord comes back to him and says, hey, I'm going to be with you. I'll give you miracles, all this. And then Moses comes back to him in verse 10. But Moses pleaded with the Lord, oh Lord, I am, I'm not very good with words. I never have been. I'm not even now, even though you've spoken to me. I, I get all tongue-tied and my words get tangled. Now he's going, he's playing the victim card. He's like, but, but I'm not even, I, I mean, I can't even talk. I mean, you're telling me to do this with Pharaoh and the people of Israel. And I, I mean, I can't even talk. And then finally, finally, one last time, here's what Moses would say. But Moses, again, pleaded, Lord, please send anyone else. There's got to be more people qualified than me. Well, finally, the Lord would persuade him. And Moses would reluctantly, but yet, obey God and go. But as I read this story, I think I, I want to hit the pause button on the story. And we'll talk more throughout the weeks about Moses and about the people and and the events, and the characters, but, but I, I think there's some things, you know, how many read the Bible, and you, you've read this story hundreds of times, I've read this story hundreds of times, but yet you read it one last time, and you see something different, you see something that you've never seen before, and that's, as I read through this story, I'm thinking, huh, I don't know that I've ever thought about that, I've got some observations for you, because I do think that we're more like Moses than we think, and I do think the Lord is going to speak to us today through his word, and I'm hoping that your heart is not distracted and your spirit is not overwhelmed with whatever it is that you may be going through to, to hear the burning bush today, because I think he's going to speak to us. Some observations, and the first one is this, God does some of his best work in the deserts of our life. When I say desert, um, I mean those times in which we feel distant from God, those times in which we feel like we're in timeout and discipline. Moses was in the desert for 40 years, believing that the desert was all there was for him, especially after what he had done. I mean, we're not talking about somebody who just ran away from home because he didn't like the rules. We're talking about somebody who killed somebody and ran from it and for 40 years would be in this wilderness desert place where he felt like it's all he really deserved. Maybe you have felt the same way at times in your life. A divorce that you didn't want, didn't ask for, but it came your way. Maybe you did ask for it. 
Maybe you did something. Maybe you failed in your marriage. Maybe you failed in some way, in other ways, and, and, and you feel like you will never outlive that failure. You're labeled. That's who you are. You sinned. Maybe yours is insecurity, like Moses. I, I, I can't even talk. I mean, there, there's no way that this is going to work. They're not going to believe me. Maybe yours is inferiority. Maybe from a kid you have felt less than all of your life. And all of a sudden, God is wanting to use you in some way. You hear us announce, hey, would you work with students? Would you serve at a door? Would you greet people? Would you lead a small group? Would you, would you, would you? And, and, and the immediate, the, the thing is, some of us, it's I don't have time. Some of us is, you know, and I'm not going to do that. I'm above that. But some of us, it's like we don't feel qualified. We don't feel worthy because we know who we are and we know what we've done. And that's exactly where Moses is. He's like, Lord, who am I? Who, why, why would you even come to me? You know what I've done. But God in his mercy keeps knocking. He keeps asking. He keeps loving. He stays patient. The desert is not not always a bad place. But it's certainly not the best place to stay. Because God had other plans for Moses. Let me put it on the screen like this. God uses the less than desired places. You ever been in a less than desired place in your life? Made a decision that went bad, moved across the country for a job that didn't work out. You ever ever been in less than desired situations where a spouse did something that you didn't ask for or didn't want? God uses the less than desired places in our lives to mature and develop us if we'll let him, not to keep us there. The discipline of the Lord is only through love. The Lord disciplines those he loves. And if we're in a desert time, whether self-inflicted or somebody else, and we're just in this time where we're distant spiritually, maybe it's just a season of dryness that, that maybe you're not reading your word like you used to. You're not enjoying the presence of the Lord in your personal time, praying and so forth. And there have been times in your life where you walked into a service and a song was sung and your hands were raised and you were like, yes, you're connecting. And then there are other seasons of your life where the song is sung, same song, and you just don't feel any connection. You don't feel anything. And it's this distance. You're in a desert. Well, God does his best work in the deserts of our life if we let him. The point is, don't settle. Don't settle for the desert. Let me, let me put on the screen like this. Many times we deny or deflect God's invitation for leadership and settle for less than God's best for our lives because we don't feel worthy or qualified. Or maybe in your case, you just don't have time. You're busy. You got things going. I'm just... I'm just here to tell you that God does his best work in the deserts of our lives. Let him. Just because you're in a desert doesn't mean God is not with you. Just because you're in a desert doesn't mean he won't develop you. It's in those times, how many know this? How many of you ever come through a bad time and now you look back 10 years later and you go, wow, I am thankful for that time. I wish, I don't want to relive that, but I'm thankful because now I'm better. 
I'm more faith-filled. I am better at, at, at relationships or, you know, whatever the case is. You look back on those things. Why? Because you allowed God to develop you in the dark places of your life. In the desert times of your life, you let God mature you. You let him grow. You didn't get bitter. You didn't walk away from God or the church and go, I'm mad. If he, if he doesn't do whatever, you just, you just let him grow you. Even in your pain, even in the hurt, even in the confusion, even in the unfairness, you let God work. And when you let God work, he does his best work when you're walking through the desert. Second observation. Maybe, just maybe, God calls us to do things that only we can do. Now, I say maybe because this is a real bold statement. Because I know in Matthew 28, when, he, when Jesus gives us the great commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel, that's for everybody, right? And you and I, you and I both know that God's going to send somebody. He's going to send somebody to the ends of the earth. He's gonna, they're going to be missionary. Maybe he didn't call you to do that, but we know that's kind of a general call that we're all called to reach the lost. I mean, it's part of our mission. We invite everyone to find Jesus. So, so all of us, that's a, it's, it's a general call. But I think there are, and in fact, I really do believe that there are times in which God calls us to do things that only we can do. And here's why I kind of come to this conclusion in this story. If you own a business or if you are a part of the hiring of, of employees of any kind, maybe you're in the HR department or maybe you are in a hiring team and you're a part of interviews and so forth. I mean, can you imagine a candidate coming in, he's, he or she is qualified for the job and, and you send an offer letter and they refuse the, the, the offer? for whatever reason they just refuse and maybe because they're such a good fit for your company for the position that you up the ante and you you add to the signing bonus or or you add to the salary or to benefits or or something and 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 you send it again and you think oh this is going to do it and they reject you again they just say no no thank you now if you're like me who have i've you know we've asked people to come on our team and they have not guess what they are dead to me right right i mean if you ever talk to somebody and they were like no no thank you oh well i'll tell you what i'll tell you what we'll make you a deal we'll we'll up the end and they say no no thank you how many are like i'm not even going to say it but you're like you're dead to me i'm you yeah you you better not come back to me because you will not get you know what we get all that attitude right so anyway my point is I wonder why God kept after Moses, even after he rejected him, multiple times. Hey, I've seen the affliction. I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to, I'm going to send you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to, I'm going to give miracles. You're, you're going to do miracles through me. I mean, it's going to be an incredible experience. I'm inviting you to join me. Moses says, no, 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 no. Now, if you're God, I'm thinking, you know what? I really want somebody who wants to be on my team. You know, when I was in school, I remember in elementary, especially we would be on the playground and we would be picking and choosing teams. And every once in a while, I was a captain and I would pick somebody and they'd go, oh, right? (laughs) Because they wanted to be on the other person's team. It's like, sorry, I picked you. I'm not throwing the ball to you, you know, type of thing. I mean, 
God kept after him. Why? Think about it just for a second. Moses had a a, a humility about him, maybe because of his past, maybe because of his speech impediment, maybe just because he had the right temperament. Guess who would spend 40 years in the desert tending sheep and cattle? And guess who would lead the people of Israel in the what? Desert for 40 years. Moses had an understanding of the desert like nobody else would. And maybe there were other shepherds, maybe there were other people, you know, maybe. But God did not ask them. He asked Moses. Moses was ready. Moses was older. He was wiser. He was developed. He was prepared. Maybe there are some things that God is asking of you that only you can do. And let me explain why I believe this is not just a maybe. You have a son or a daughter. Only you are called of God to be their dad or to be their mom. And maybe there's some step-parents involved, but if you're the biological, you are called to lead your child. That's the, that, I mean, that's a blanket statement if you have kids, but I mean, that's a basic call. Only you can do that. Now you can relinquish that and you can let somebody else, or you can answer the call of God to lead. Jeremiah 1.5, God says this of Jeremiah, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. There are plans that God has that, that even before perhaps we were born, he goes, I've got plans for you. Psalm 139, David pins these words about God. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Some of you got the real complex type deal. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded. Listen to this. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of the sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. What's the point? The point is that God has plans for you that even as you were made and being formed in the mother's womb and and you you were being developed, God was planning. God was gifting you. God has something for you that only you can do. And, I, and I'm going to submit it even further that if you don't do it, it doesn't get done. Maybe over the years, the Lord has been calling you to get involved here at Hope more. Maybe it's in the children's ministry or student ministry. Maybe it's in some capacity of leading a small group or maybe it's teaching in some way. Maybe it's leading in some way. Maybe it's 
using your talents or gifts, whatever the, the case is. Maybe there's some, there's some the, the, the God has just been knocking. He's just been knocking. You've said, I don't have time. You've said, I'm not qualified. I'm not worthy. I can't do it. I can't talk. I'm afraid of teenagers. They are monsters, you know, whatever, right? And, and, and you've just said all your life, listen to me, you've said no, but use somebody else. Please, Lord, anyone else. And maybe it's you that he wants. It's you that he wants to use. Maybe you weren't voted most likely to succeed in your yearbook like I was. (laughs) You won't find that in any of them. But you know what? God didn't vote in your yearbook. You look at the people in your yearbook who are most likely voted this and that, most beautiful, most handsome, and they're ugly as crazy right now, (laughs) didn't age well, most likely to succeed, and didn't happen. Can I tell you that God doesn't look on the outside, but God looks at the heart? And there are some things that I believe that only you can do because God is calling you, specifically you, with your fingerprint, with your talents, with your giftings, and you're being stubborn. And God says, man, I'm just going to keep knocking because you're the only one who can do it. Third, how many still love me? Oh, you know, I know it's, it's kind of hard. All right, good, good. Past failure does not exclude us from God's future success. Now, this is a no-brainer in the story, because if you read it, you're like, okay, we know Moses killed somebody, but now God's going to use him. I mean, this story has been used all over the world in religions that don't even follow the Bible or Jesus. This is a huge story. But let's revisit Moses' failure. Exodus chapter 2, just real quick. Many years later, when Moses had grown up, he went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews, and he saw how hard they were forced to work during his visit. He saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. After looking all directions to make sure nobody was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand. How many have bodies in the sand around you? I'm talking in a metaphoric way, hopefully. Not a great way to start your leadership life, Moses. Right? I have a friend. I've never told you this story. I have a friend that was raised in a home that did not serve the Lord. His stepfather beat him and his brothers. He had a hard life. Very hard life. Went to church only two times in his whole life. And they were both funerals. He graduated high school at 18, and he, I, mean, I, I mean, to say it bluntly, he's just, he was a drug addict. And he was not only using drugs, but he was selling drugs, and, and it was not a good situation. And what comes with that lifestyle many times is it goes further, further down the line. You start using, you know, harder drugs. You, you start doing things that you normally, you know, wouldn't do, and him and a friend were robbing a home that was for sale. Nobody was there. They were in there taking everything they could. And just by chance, a realtor who was selling the home for the people stopped by the house, walked in, 
and my friend kills her on the spot. Runs, takes off. Just a few hours later, the Irving police would catch up with him and his friend. His friend would tell on him, and he was incarcerated and thrown in the Dallas County Jail for murder. He calls his dad and says, I'm in jail for murder and I'm guilty. The dad and the mom who had just, just given their lives to Jesus Christ, just had done this, brand new at a church, and they called their pastor and he says, I've got an attorney. And they called this attorney, and the attorney went down to the Dallas County Jail, opened his briefcase in the cell with my friend, and said, I want to talk to you about God. My friend stood up and says, I will not talk about God. There is no God, and I want a new attorney. The attorney closed his briefcase, says, I'll be back when you're ready. Comes back, not ready. Comes back again, not ready. But in similar situations, if you found yourself in a place in which you don't know what to do, it's those kinds of places that you begin to think about maybe there is a God. And he was in his bed by himself, looking up at the ceiling, tears down his face, realizing that he would never spend another Christmas with his mom, his brothers, his sister. He would never enjoy it. He knew that he was done for life. And he looked up to the ceiling and he says, God, if you're real, please reveal yourself to me. Attorney shows up again and says, are you ready to talk about God? And he says, yes. And he gives his life, surrenders his life to Jesus Christ in the Dallas County Jail. He goes to trial for murder and he is convicted of murder and sentenced to Huntsville for 20 years. Now, if you don't understand, 20 years is a miracle. He should have gotten life at the very least. But he got 20 years, and he went to Huntsville, went to college through correspondence, Bible college, and he led a Sunday school class in, in Huntsville of 500 inmates every single weekend, baptizing them in a bathtub and growing and developing in his desert. In eight and a half years, he had gone through parole three times. And they had denied him every time. In fact, the last time they came and brought his name up, they told his parents, don't ever bring his name up again. We will never give him parole. And, and, and rightfully so in many ways, if you understand, I mean, 20 years from, I mean, this is crazy Don't even bring him up. We're not giving him parole. But in eight and a half years, because of overcrowding in the Texas prison system, he is given $45 and let go on the street for good behavior and because of overcrowding. Calls his mom and dad and says, I'm out. Long story short, the reason I tell you this story is my friend was the pastor that I served under in Nashville, Tennessee, who came and prayed a prayer of dedication over this building three or four years ago. 
Mari Davis was my pastor, pastor at a church in Nashville, thousands of people. How many of you would like to have a pastor who murdered somebody? How many would like to serve under a pastor who murdered somebody? He was crazy in many ways. And if he's watching, you know what I'm talking about is true. He was a crazy loon. But he was redeemed and restored by God. And I want you to listen to me very, very closely. Don't bring up in here your past and bring it up to God saying, I don't deserve, I'm not worthy, I can't do it because you don't know what I've done. Because I'm telling you, God does his best work in the deserts of your life if you'll let him. And he calls us to do things that only we can do. Stop being stubborn and prideful. I'm talking to myself here too. Stop giving him the hand and, 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 and say, use somebody else. Do, do, do it another way. And your past failure does not exempt you from God's future for your life. Let me put it on the screen like this. Our past failures should be owned. So if you think I'm preaching a gospel that is simple, that is uh, too lenient, please understand me. Hear my heart on this. There are consequences to our sin. There are consequences to our failures. There's no question. You know that. Our past failures, we got to own them. We need to repent of them, and we need to be restored. So I'm not preaching a gospel that is only, oh, God loves you. doesn't matter what you do. doesn't matter what you've done. It's, it's all good. We just want you to know we love you, and God loves you. He does, and we do. But there are consequences to sin. You need to own it, you need to repent, and you need to be restored. No question about it. But it's in these times that God refines us. He renews us and develops us to be used for his glory. And my friend, Mari Davis, and his story has been told all over this nation. So many people have come to Christ. So don't tell me God can't use you because you committed adultery. Don't tell me God can't use you because you killed somebody. Don't tell me God can't use you because you lied. Don't tell me God can't use you because you failed in some way. I'm not excusing, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't have to pay or we shouldn't have to pay. I'm not saying any of those things. All I'm saying is that if you'll just surrender to the Lord in the times of desperation, and you'll repent of your sin, and you'll be, let Him restore you, He will develop you for His glory. And here's the bottom line. Let me put it on the screen like this. No matter what season of life you're in, right now, there's always something that God has for you. Always. He's either developing you, he's restoring you, or he's asking you to do something. Always. There is no retirement in the kingdom of God. There is no vacation in the kingdom of God. You may be going through a time of desert. Let him restore you. Maybe you need to go to regeneration on Monday nights. 6.30 p.m. at this campus, Frisco East, every Monday night you've got hurts and hang-ups and, and things that you've not been able to overcome in your life, maybe some kind of addiction, maybe some kind of sin, maybe some kind of just uh, infuriety or insecurity, whatever it is, man, let God restore you. But just don't sit there and be in the desert all your life. Let God do something in your desert. 
And when God asks you to do something, just know that you may be the only one who can do what he's asking you to do. Stop saying no. And don't let your past determine your future. Let God. Because no matter what season you're in, he has something for you. Don't be lazy. Don't be stubborn. Don't be rebellious. Moses would do some incredible things for God that he never dreamed that he would do because he took a step of faith. And maybe some of you here today, you have never taken the step of faith to to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Maybe there's some things that you've done in your life that you could tell me, John, do you think that story's bad? Let me tell you, top of trial, you know, whatever. I don't care. Maybe you're here today and you need to surrender that stuff. You need to surrender your pride. You need to surrender your sin. You need to surrender your faith to the lordship of Jesus and, and, and just say, you know what, Lord, I believe that you died on the cross. You lived a sinless life. You died on the cross. You paid for my sins so that I could be reconciled and forgiven to the Father, and you died and rose again so that I could live eternal life. You need to put your faith and surrender in God's plan for your life. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you're already a believer here, and you just need to say yes to the Lord. You need to stop whining, stop making excuses, and I'm saying this in a loving way, not in a, like, because I'm talking to myself here, but you need to stop making the excuses. You need to stop. You need to come back from vacation. You need to come out of retirement. And you need to answer the call that God has for your life. Because he's either in, you're either in the desert and he's developing you or he's asking you to do something. There's no in-between. There's always something to do in his kingdom. Father, your word is, is remarkable. It just, I, I read it over and over, and I get something different every time, and, or at least a lot of times. And in this story, I'm just so glad you didn't give up on Moses. And Lord, I'm so glad you didn't give up on me. And I think I'm speaking for a lot of people in this room. I'm so glad that you have not given up on all of us. We've got a past. We have disqualified ourselves for leadership in many, many ways and many times. But yet you still keep asking. You still keep knocking. You still keep loving. You're patient. Father, may we answer your call, whether to surrender to your lordship, to surrender to development, or to surrender to the call. Would you speak so clearly to us today? And may your kingdom come. And your will be done right here, right now, in all of our lives. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to Hope's weekend message. Visit hopefellowship.net and further connect with us by downloading the Hope app from the App Store or Google Play. Have a great day.